All right, let's get started. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to Storage 303 breakout session, the deep dive on Glacier. My name is Moss Kubo. Um, I'm a product manager for Amazon Glacier, and I'm proud to say I've been with AWS for almost eight years now, um, years before Glacier even existed. And at that time, customers told us they really wanted a way to uh, cost effectively. They wanted a low cost way to store their object storage um, for data that they didn't need millisecond access to. And so in August 2012, we launched Amazon Glacier. Um, and it quickly became one of the most popular services because customers loved um, saving on their object storage. And over the last five years, it's been a really awesome uh, journey watching Glacier grow into an exabyte scale service, um, supporting a broad spectrum of use cases from financial services, media and entertainment, public sector, healthcare and life cycle, uh, uh, life sciences, and more. Um, and as a show of hands, who uses Glacier today and is just here to learn some more about Glacier? Awesome, a lot of hands, that's great. Who uses S3 but wants to learn more about Glacier to, you know, considering saving, all right, even more? Um, who uses, uh, who has taped um, uh, repositories today and that are considering using Glacier to replace? Awesome, a lot of hands. Who's here just to pass time until replay <laughs> party? My hand's up for a reason, uh, um, me too. Cool. Well, regardless, um, uh, you're all going to get something out of this session. And, but if there's one thing I want you to take away, it is that Glacier is a powerful archival service um, that can address the broad spectrum of archival use cases. Everything from your deep offline archives where you're taking advantage of Glacier's ultra-low storage price, all the way to Super active archives uh, where, you know, any, everything from news broadcasting, content distribution, mass retranscoding, uh, big batch workloads, et cetera, um, where you're taking advantage of re Glacier's retrieval options uh, to cost effectively take advantage, uh, or sorry, make use of your data. And let me apologize in advance. I managed to catch a cold this week. I don't normally sound like a frog, uh, uh, but so please bear with me. So today we're going to cover a quick overview of AWS's storage portfolio. We'll then, I'll then give an overview of Glacier's uh, value proposition and then deep, dive deep into the features, including the pricing and TCO, durability and security, data ingress, egress, uh, a new feature launch. Um, and then throughout the presentation, I'll be giving some pro tips on how to best leverage Glacier, as well as highlight some customer examples um, and the ways that customers are taking advantage of Glacier. So taking a look at uh, storage in AWS, customers have taught us over the years to think of storage uh, based on three key elements, file, object, and block. And oftentimes, multiple elements are necessary uh, for a successful cloud strategy. Uh, customers ask for file systems uh, that work at a petabyte scale with consistent latencies, and we launched EFS, which gives a simple file interface uh, for your EC2 instances that's highly scalable, highly performant. We've got S3 and Glacier, which are the object storage uh, services that are the ultimate repository uh, for both, uh, that are both highly durable and cost effective for everything from cloud native applications to big data workloads. And then finally, EBS is our block storage. It offers the lowest latency in our portfolio with provisioned IOPS. 
uh, and general purpose SSD volume types for high IOPS uh, and low latencies, as well as the low cost throughput optimized storage volumes to lower the cost of using persistent block storage for your EC2 instances. Um, and EBS supports a broad range of workloads, everything from transactional databases to NoSQL databases and um, data warehousing. Surrounding our data, uh, our cloud storage portfolio are a variety of means to move data in and out of the cloud uh, that best suit the value, time, and workflow demands of those data transfers. Everything from the Snow family that make large-scale petabyte, even exabyte data transfer um, from your data center to AWS, Storage Gateway that gives you a seamless and uh, secure uh, connection between your on-premise environment and AWS. Uh, Direct Connect, which gives you a dedicated, secure, high-speed network connection to AWS. S3 Transfer Acceleration, which leverages uh, our edge infrastructure and optimized network uh, protocols to accelerate the data transfer speeds up to 500% higher than uh, the general public internet. Um, Kinesis, which offers real-time analytics uh, of streamed data with built-in BI tools and dashboards, and also our third-party storage partners uh, that integrate with our services. And finally, our cloud storage services integrate with our data security and data management uh, features and services that we offer. Everything from automated data classification with Amazon Macy, business analytics via AWS QuickSight, uh, serverless computing with Lambda, uh, and all the auditing, monitoring, and security features provided by CloudTrail, CloudWatch, IAM, and KMS. Looking more closely at S3 and Glacier, uh, S3 and Glacier provide unmatched durability, availability, and scalability. And I'll go into more detail in a later slide, but S3 and Glacier were built from the ground up to deliver a customer promise of 11 nines of durability. Data is automatically distributed across a minimum of three physical uh, facilities that are geographically separated typically by miles. Uh, to quote Gartner, Amazon S3 is the largest public cloud-based object storage service as measured by data under management. AWS has more insights than any other vendor on how customers use public cloud storage services at scale. And this is why customers like Adobe, Uber, Netflix, they're working with tens of billions of objects spanning petabytes of data to deliver deeper insights and better solutions for their customers. Uh, next is security and compliance. S3 and Glacier have the most comprehensive security and compliance uh, capabilities. S3 is the only cloud storage platform that supports three different types of encryption. Uh, you can choose between automated server-side uh, server encryption, uh, encryption with uh, KMS-managed uh, keys with, uh, through the KMS service, uh, and encryption with keys managed by you. Glacier offers integrated, uh, integration with CloudTrail, as well uh, to show your logs and monitoring and retain all the storage API call activities uh, for auditing purposes. S3 is the only cloud storage platform that includes Amazon Macy, a service that uses machine learning to automatically discover, classify, and protect sensitive data in AWS. Um, S3 and Glacier supports more security standards and compliance uh, certifications than any other offering. Everything from PCI, HIPAA, 
uh, FedRAMP, SEC Rule 17-A, EU Data Protection uh, Directive, FISMA, what have you, uh, helping to satisfy all the compliance requirements that you might face. Um, this level of protection is what helps uh, highly regulated organizations like Capital One and the United States federal government uh, to operate more securely in the AWS cloud than they would in their own data center. Uh, query in place, we just announced yesterday during Andy's keynote, um, S3 and Glacier Select, which allows you uh, to run queries on your data at rest. S3 and Glacier is the only cloud storage platform uh, that lets customers run sophisticated analytics on their data um, without requiring them to extract and move that data uh, to a separate analytics database. And uh, so now anyone who knows SQL uh, can use Amazon Athena to analyze vast amounts of unstructured data uh, in S3 on demand. Flexible management. So S3 and Glacier offer the most flexible set of storage management and administrative capabilities. Um, if you're a storage administrator, uh, you can classify, report, and visualize your data usage trends um, to reduce cost or improve uh, service levels. Objects can be tagged um, and customized uh, with unique customizable metadata so that you can customers um, so that you can see and control your storage consumption, uh, cost and security separately for each of your workloads. Um, the S3 inventory tool is a great way to, um, uh, it provides scheduled reports about your objects and their metadata for maintenance, compliance, and analytics operations. Um, and finally, S3 all, can also analyze object access patterns to build lifecycle policies, and I'll, I'll go into more detail later, um, to automate the lifecycling of your data across the various storage classes. And finally, um, S3 also works with AWS Lambda. You can log activities, define alerts, and invoke workflows, all without managing any additional infrastructure. Um, and last but not least, we are the most supported platform with the largest ecosystem. In addition to integrating with most AWS services, S3 and, Glacier, S3 and Glacier's ecosystem include tens of thousands of consulting systems integrator and ISV partners. And our marketplace is filled with over uh, 3,500 software listings and 1,100 independent software vendors um, that, offer pre that are pre-configured to deploy on S3 and Glacier. And so you can easily use S3 and Glacier with the popular backup, um, DR, primary storage um, vendors that, that you may already uh, know and love today. Whether you are an individual developer, a startup, or a multinational enterprise, within minutes of setting up your AWS account, you gain access to AWS's global infrastructure. Uh, with set 16 geographic location, uh, regions around the world, totaling 44 availability zones, with an additional six regions and 17 availability zones uh, announced to be launched, including Bahrain, China, France, Hong Kong, Sweden, and a second US government um, loc uh, location as well. Startups love knowing that as their business grows and you know, as they hope to grow very quickly, um, they can scale up on AWS and uh, scale across the globe. And of course, enterprises love that we can already support um, their global operations from day one. Uh, also, many Glacier customers in particular who require uh, geographic redundancy uh, leverage our, our global availability to uh, make it easy to achieve that regional redundancy. 
As I mentioned, a lot of customers with well-known brands are leveraging Glacier today. These are just to name a few uh, who are all running multi-petabyte workloads on Glacier. Um, so at AWS, I love solving problems for customers, removing hurdles. I've yet to meet a customer who enjoys, much less is in the business of, uh, dealing with media handling, complex technology refreshes, mass migrations, capacity planning, etc. These are all undifferentiated heavy lifting that you sh your business should not be um, wasting precious resources on, time and resources. Glacier solves this for you and allows you to focus on solving the problems for your end customer or for your organization. Uh, so now I'm going to dive into uh, Glacier's features. Uh, I've categorized these into three overarching sec sections, cost optimization, durability, and security, and data ingress and egress. So let's start with cost optimization. Glacier's number one feature is ultra-low pricing. Glacier is nothing if not a way to store more data for less. Uh, Amazon Glacier starts at just 0.4 cents per gigabyte, um, but you know it can be hard to fully appreciate the economics of Glacier when you're looking at the, all these decimal points with the pricing and whatnot. So let's take a look at a petabyte. A petabyte on S3 is just over $22,000 a month, uh, which is f uh, a, a, an incredible price for what is widely considered the gold standard for cloud object storage, um, or just over $13,000 for S3IA. On Glacier, that petabyte is just $4,200 a month. So as your data scales, um, the numbers really, the dollars really add up when it comes to the savings. Um, so looking at a petabyte, you're saving tens of thousands of dollars a month um, for data that can be stored in Glacier. Uh, furthermore, at Glacier, we work relentlessly to innovate on everything from our software and processes to our data center uh, infrastructure and operations to drive our costs out and in true Amazonian fashion, pass on those savings onto our customers, onto you guys in the form of price drops. Uh, when Amazon launched in August 2012, uh, we launched with a price of one cent per gigabyte, which at the time was a revolutionary price. Since then, we've dropped our price uh, by 30% to 0.7 cents per gigabyte in 2015, and then again for, by 43%, uh, just last year down to 0.4 cents per gigabyte. Um, this, is, uh, this equates to a historical annual price decrease of 19%. And we have, uh, the Glacier team is super focused on cost optimization and we have no plans to stop uh, driving the cost of archival storage down to the ground. Uh, and one customer case study that I'd like to highlight related to TCO is Sony. Sony was dealing with complex, expensive, and uh, an, an aging legacy tape hardware system. Um, they were holding two copies of data on tape in two geographically separated locations. They wanted to um, lower their time to market to offer their media content to their end users. Um, they wanted to uh, have a durable storage solution that was going to be scalable. Um, and they moved a 25 petabyte workload onto AWS, which is quickly growing to 40 petabytes. Uh, they store massive amounts of media content in Glacier, and they access hundreds of terabytes of data and, uh, on a continuous basis to deliver their content to their customers. Um, 
I love this story, uh, this customer case study, because um, they wanted more durability, more flexibility, better performance, better time to market, and they wanted to lower their cost. Um, and they were able to achieve that with Glacier. Um, they loved their two copies of tape, but when they understood the durability model of Glacier, um, as well as when after we released the new flexible um, retrieval options just last year, which I'll go into more detail later, uh, they quickly realized that Glacier was a, a superior um, solution than this uh, legacy tape hardware system that they were maintaining. Um, and in particular, they did a very deep TCO analysis that included all the cost of migration. You could see their cost jumping at year five along that blue line, which is when they were having to scale out a new tape solution. Um, and compared to that to that smooth cost line that, that's growing as their data grows um, along that orange glacier line. And all that green is the savings underneath um, that all equated to over $10 million in savings over seven years. So to help make it easier to get your data into Glacier, you can write lifecycle policies that move objects automatically from either S3 standard or S3IA into Glacier um, based on the age of that object. Policies are set on at the bucket level, but you can also filter that policy, excuse me, filter that policy um, based on a prefix or based on tags. Here's a, this is an example of moving um, for example, you can define a policy that moves all objects older than 30 days to S3IA and then anything older than 90 days to Amazon Glacier. To, oh, here we go. We're going to do a demo. It's super easy to set up a lifecycle policy. And in fact, I'm going to set one up after I turn my computer on. All right, let's give this a try. Boom, here we go. So I'm here in our, the S3 console. Under the management tab, you'll see the option for a lifecycle rule. I'm gonna add a lifecycle rule here, I'll give it a little name. Um, you can uh, add the prefix or the tag filter to this rule. Here you, set, you can set separate policies for your current version and your previous version if you have S3 versioning um, on for that particular bucket. I'm just gonna create a version of lifecycle rule for current versions. Um, add a transition, transition to Amazon Glacier after let's say 90 days. Next, uh, configure, uh, so this, the, the first policy was for when to move the object from S3 to Glacier, this next policy which is optional, um, is to expire or automatically delete the object after a given number of days. So let's do this after, let's say, 365 days. The quick review, looks good, done. And so now we have a rule that will automatically transition my massive bucket of one, no, two objects into Glacier automatically. Um, and that's all it takes. So super easy, and that will automatically uh, move your data to Glacier. But how do you know which objects should go into Glacier? I mean, you don't have millisecond access to that. There's a retrieval cost associated with that. So we've come out with some features that help 
help you to strategize around this. Um, but first, let me back up for a second. You want to think about your workloads um, and, and uh, classify them. Uh, you've got your hot data that's you know, active, or maybe it's temporary, it's short-lived, you're accessing it very frequently. S3 is great for that. It's 2.1 cents per gigabyte. S3IA is more for your warm data. It's less frequently accessed. There's a retrieval charge um, of one cent per gigabyte, but the storage cost is almost half of S3 standard. And then finally, you've got Glacier with, uh, uh, that, that, that's really for your cold data. Um, this is your archive, your compliance data, uh, data that you're accessing less frequently. You don't need millisecond access to it. It's 0.4 cents per gigabyte, um, and there's uh, various retrieval options, but they start at a quarter of a cent per gigabyte to retrieve that data. One thing I wanted to emphasize here is that as you're moving along these storage classes, you're maintaining the 11 nines of durability, the scalability, the query in place features, the global availability, all right? Those are all um, features and value propositions that you can rely on as you're moving across these storage classes. So, um, first pro tip, how to choose a storage class. Specifically in this case, moving from standard to S3IA. Number one question, access frequency, uh, how frequently are you accessing the data? Uh, you don't want to access data moved to S3IA more frequently than once a month um, uh, in order to, for it to be financially beneficial. And then secondly, you, that data should be stored for longer than one month. There's a 30-day minimum storage period for data in S3IA. Now, um, this can be, th this, you want to think of it on, a, like on an average basis across a, a large data set. You're obviously not going to go object by object um, and, and decide what your access patterns and retention are. But as long as, you know, for a given data set on average, you're accessing this data less than once a month um, and retaining it for at least 30 days, you're going to be better off with S3IA. This is a, uh, the TCO example is just a quick example of a one gigabyte object that's stored for a year and accessed every other month, achieving a savings of 17% over a standard. Now, what if you don't want to do this all by your, uh, do this yourself? Well, um, last year, actually, I don't remember when we launched this, but uh, we launched storage class analysis, um, which automates um, that exact exercise that I just went through with you guys. Um, it gives you a daily storage class analysis of the access patterns for your data um, based on the age. And just to give you an idea of what this looks like, it'll give you a console view here that'll show uh, as data ages the access frequencies. So the blue bar metrics here are your storage and the purple is the retrieves. So you're retrieving more than, than uh, you're retrieving objects multiple times a month. And eventually once you hit 90 days, I think I have a red thing here. You probably can't see that. Uh, as in this example, as data reaches 90 days, the retrieval patterns drop off a cliff, uh, making it a, a good use case for um, S3IA. So you would, in this case, uh, write a policy that transitions data from standard to S3IA once it's 90 days old. So super easy to use, automated, and gives you confidence that you're writing the right lifecycle policy to minimize your storage costs. Um, pro tip number two, a lot of customers say, hey, lifecycle policies are great, but they apply to the entire bucket. Sure, I can filter on a prefix or a tag, but what if I just want to move one particular object to Glacier? Um, 
the life cycle policies, you know, require it to be a certain age and match a certain filter, et cetera. Um, I want just this one um, object to be moved to Glacier today. Today, we don't have an API call for that. However, there's a way to achieve this effectively through the tagging uh, feature. You write a zero-day lifecycle policy where any object that matches that filter for that policy is moved to Glacier on that day, and you can add a tag filter to that policy so that when you tag an object with that tag, it is then moved on that day to Glacier. And so that's a way to achieve an object-by-object -object transition to Glacier uh, via an API call. Okay, um, next. When should data mo be moved to Glacier? So the S3 analytics feature is, is all about this, the, the trade-off between standard and S3IA. But when it comes to, to Glacier, um, there's a couple of things, additional things that you need to keep in mind. The number one question is, do you need millisecond access to your data? If yes, Glacier's not a good fit. Glacier offers three different access uh, retrieval options, um, the fastest being expedited with one to five minutes, um, standard is three to five hours, and bulk is five to 12 hours. Uh, Glacier has a 90-day minimum, so uh, objects, uh, you'll want, uh, objects that are, live longer than three months um, is, is a good rule of thumb, well, is a good rule of thumb for moving data to Glacier. And then depending on which retrieval options you uh, expect to use for your data, um, as a rule of thumb, if you're using expedited, you want to be accessing data on average less than three times a year. For standard, less than once a month. Um, and for bulk, less than four times per month. Um, and that's the trade-off between the, the, the retrieval cost and the savings that you get on the storage. And the TCO example is a similar one to the standard and S3IA one, where the savings ranging from 7% to 73% compared to S3 or S3IA. But the big question, again, just to reiterate, is do you need millisecond access time? Um, and how frequently are you accessing it? Um, one more pro tip on, on, in this section is uh, to target average object sizes that are at least one megabyte. Um, and this is really around, again, cost optimization, minimizing your storage cost. Glacier charges a 32 kilobyte overhead for every object, regardless of its size. So for example, if your object, average object size is 32 kilobytes, you're effectively playing twice. Um, for that storage. So you want your data to be um, uh, targeted one megabyte. It's not a strict rule, but just as a general rule of thumb. And then also you want that data to be long-lived. And it's a related point, um, but in addition to the 32 kilobyte overhead, there's also a put request price of five cents per 1,000 objects. And so you can think of that as like an upfront cost that you would want to amortize over a longer period of time and over a larger uh, uh, amount of data, i.e. the object size. So these are just two rules of thumb when you're thinking about what data to move to Glacier. All right, moving on to the next section, durability and security. I wanna talk a lot about the durability model um, so that uh, it's clear what, what the value proposition is for S3 and Glacier. So let's return to traditional redundancy model. You've got your one data center, maybe you're running some raids, some periodic fixity check, um, but you've got no geographic redundancy, you're vulnerable to concurrent failures and catastrophic events. 
we worked with a major Hollywood uh, media company to run the same Markov model that we used to calculate the 11 nines of durability. Um, they used that to calculate what the equivalent number of nines would be for a single copy of tape in one location, and they came to about four to five nines of durability. So you're sitting here, you're not comfortable with this, and so what do you do? You double the cost and the effort, you build a DR site that's um, maybe in a different geographic location, maybe it's just across the street, which is a pretty minimal geographic um, redundancy, uh, but now you're doubling the cost and the effort. It may not be synchronously redundant. Um, and of course, you're dealing with all the migration and the technology refresh doubled as well. Uh, and this, uh, again, this, this large Hollywood uh, customer calculated the number of nines when having two copies and geographically separated to be roughly five to six nines of durability. Let's imagine a, a world <laughs> where objects, uh, where you don't just have one location, not just a secondary location, but three geographically separated locations that are miles apart. It's not asynchronously, but synchronously stored in these three different locations. Not only do you have three different data centers, you actually have multiple data facilities in each of these geographic areas. Um, each with their own separated power, network, flood domains, um, with automatic peri uh, periodic data integrity checks, tolerant uh, it's tolerant for concurrent failures um, uh, across things like disks, and nodes, racks, networks, and WAN providers, et cetera, um, with the option to also uh, duplicate this entire model to yet another uh, entire ge ge uh, cross uh, geographic region. Um, if only there was an API for this. If this sounds familiar, that's because it's Glacier in S3. Um, this is the durability model of 11 nines of durability, and this comes built into the storage price uh, and is, is there to protect your, your important data. So I'm hoping that illustration gives you a better idea of what 11 nines of durability means, which can just sound like a number to most. Uh, if you haven't already, check out James Hamilton's video. Uh, you can search for 1026, which was the session number at the time, uh, where he goes into great detail about our architecture and how we achieve this. Um, Glacier has a lot of built-in security features. We have uh, all data in Glacier is encrypted at rest by default. Regardless of whether you send it to us with encryption keys yourself, we will re-encrypt it. Um, at, by default at rest. Um, we, have, we also offer server-side encryption, uh, which I've mentioned, vault access policies, which, allow, which makes it easier to set pol access policies um, on a, uh, a vault or a bucket, if you will, um, which can be easier than doing it at the user level. And of course, CloudTrail integration, which I mentioned, and then vault lock, which is a uh, really strong compliance control that lets you achieve WORM um, and meet some of the stricter compliance regimes like uh, SEC Rule 17-A. And it is easy to set up, and so I'm going to do another demo here. Just bear with me.
me switch screens so at least you can see some pretty snow while I do this. I apparently did not give enough offerings to the demo gods this morning. They were very upset. Okay, I'm not doing a vault lock demo. Uh, I might return to that later, but my computer is not unlocking. Okay, so let's just move on. Uh, one case study that I wanna highlight, the uh, proof point um, is a leading security and compliance company that provides cloud-based solutions for uh, threat protection, incident response, uh, secure communications from social media and mobile security, um, and they, they help their, their end users uh, protect from phishing and malware, spam, meet compliance requirements, et cetera, and uh, they are big users of uh, Vault Lock to achieve both worm. They have to meet um, financial services, the SEC rule, um, as well as healthcare and patient records, et cetera, uh, and they uh, are a great use case for um, utilizing these compliance controls that we offer on Glacier. Okay. So it's great to have durability. It's great to have you know, low-cost way to store your data. Uh, but it needs to be easy to get that data into Glacier uh, and, and possibly more importantly, to be able to get to your data. So I want to spend some time focusing on that. And as I mentioned uh, in our portfolio slide here, we've got a, a you know, long list of services and features that make it easy to get your data in and out. Um, including the Snow family. So we've got everything from Snowball uh, to Snowball Edge um, and Snowmobile uh, that has up to uh, 100 petabyte capacity. Um, Snowball starts at just $200 per job uh, and it has S3 compatible endpoint, making it really easy to move your data into uh, the Snowball device. Um, and, uh, and to have it then sucked uh, right into your S3 bucket um, in AWS. Uh, this is a great way to not only um, you know, bypass uh, any necessary like, network upgrades that you might need to do to uh, move a lot of large amounts of data into the cloud, um, but it's also secure and it can also be a faster way um, depending on your network availability. Some customers are in remote locations. Some customers have already, you know, are already using all of their network bandwidth at their data center and want to avoid um, a lot of the upfront costs associated with upgrading your network capacity. So this is a great way to uh, migrate data into, into the cloud. Uh, last year, we launched Snowball Edge, uh, which has 100 terabyte local storage and allows for local compute equivalent to uh, an M4 for extra large. Uh, you can run Lambda, uh, and we have uh, uh, you know, multiple interfaces. Um, and this also allows for an NFS endpoint. So there's more of a seamless integration with your on-prem environment to be able to get your data into the, into the edge and then eventually into the cloud. Uh, Scripps Networks is a leading developer of uh, lifestyle content on TV and the internet. They you know, own the brands like HGTV, Food Network, Travel Channel, et cetera. Uh, they needed a storage platform to manage their active archive content, uh, and they had an existing content repository that was really large, um, and they faced uh, network capacity constraints, and they used Snowball to move 
massive amounts of data quickly and securely into Glacier and are now operating that workflow out of AWS. Uh, storage Gateway. Uh, this enables you to use standard storage protocols, uh, including uh, an NFS, uh, file, uh, NFS file gateway, iSCSI, as well as VTL. The VTL gateway um, is compatible and integrates with virtually every backup appliance, uh, making it super easy for you to move your tape libraries uh, into AWS um, by and, uh, using the same uh, storage um, management tools that you already use today. Uh, and then finally, we're, we integrate with a wide uh, range of storage partners. Oh, sorry. Wide range of storage partners, uh, everything from archive, backup recovery, business continuity and DR, and pri primary storage. Uh, and you can see a list of, of uh, very popular storage partners uh, listed there. Uh, Multi-part upload. So if you have large archives that you're trying to get into AWS um, and you want uh, a more reliable throughput and item potency, potency to, uh, uh, of getting those large objects in, consider using multi-part upload. Very easy to use, three-step process. Um, you start with an initiate upload uh, call. You then upload each of those individual parts and then complete the multi-part upload. This is a great way to get consistent throughput um, and a reliable way to get uh, large objects into the cloud. I'm going to quickly switch back over to my laptop that I now have unlocked to show you how to set up a vault lock policy. So I'm here in the Glacier console and I have a vault here where I'm gonna set up a vault lock policy. Um, oh, let's delete this because I already created it. All right, so here I'm going to initiate a vault lock policy. You add a permission, and in this case, I'm going to do deny everybody from deleting an archive uh, with the condition of numeric, numeric value greater than, uh, sorry, no, less than, uh, archive age and days, 365. So what this means is don't allow anybody to delete an archive um, that is less than 365 days old. I'm gonna add this condition, which is now set down here, and we're gonna say add permission, and then initiate vault lock. What, uh, the vault lock is a two-step process. You're gonna define the policy. It's going to uh, create a temporary uh, it's going to temporarily activate that policy on the vault for 24 hours um, and then will automatically be removed. The reason for that is because once completed with the second step, it can no longer be removed even by the root user. And this is to meet certain compliance requirements. Um, and so we give you a kind of a two-step confirmation process. You have to copy this lock ID. Uh, this is the temporary policy, and if you want to complete the vault lock, then you need to put in that lock ID and then complete it. Uh, acknowledge that you know, even the root user won't be able to remove it, and then complete it. I'm not going to complete that one on my account. I don't want to keep this data for 365 days. All right. 
So super easy, takes less than a minute, but be thoughtful about it. The 24 hours is to allow you to test that the policy is, uh, 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 you know, does what you want it to do. You can specify certain users um, that, that, are, that are exceptions to the rule, et cetera. Um, this is also a way to enable legal hold uh, on, on your vaults as well. Okay, so switching back. And moving along. When we first launched uh, Glacier, we ha uh, gave customers just the standard current model uh, of getting your data in three to five hours. Um, but we heard from customers that they occasionally need quick access to their data. Um, and they also wanted an option to get a large amounts of data out inexpensively. And so last year, we launched expedited retrievals and bulk retrievals to give customers uh, this flexible options for getting at your data. Um, you know, Glacier's a great place to store your archives uh, very cheaply, um, but it is also, you're also able to use it for active archive use cases. Um, and, and that's what really what these new retrieval options are designed for. Um, and the one thing that I want to make, make sure is clear is that uh, these are not storage classes. You, don't need, you do not need to choose uh, which retrieval tier you're going to be using uh, when you're uploading data into Glacier. You can use any of these retrieval options on any of your Glacier data. Uh, and so with these retrieval options, uh, Glacier is really addressing everything from the on-site tape replacement to the off-site tape replacement uh, use cases. And I'm going to do yet one more demo where I will retrieve an object that is in Glacier during the course of this uh, presentation to show you how fast the expedited retrieval is. I've got uh, I've come back to the S3 console. I've got my two object bucket. Uh, I'm gonna grab this guy, bar, uh, and we're going to, under more, initiate a restore. Here, you're going to specify how long you want that copy to be restored. Uh, so in S, when you have data in, in uh, transition to Glacier storage class from S3, when you restore that data, it's a temporary copy. If you want to have a permanent copy out of Glacier, you need to then copy that temporary copy to, to a location um, to become a, a, its own object, um, at which point you, know, you can keep it until it's deleted. Uh, so here you're specifying how many days you want this temporary copy to be kept. Um, and after which it'll be automatically cleaned up for you. So I'm just gonna put uh, two days here. Uh, here you select which option you want. I'm gonna choose expedited so that we can get it during this session. Um, and I'm gonna hit restore. Having initiated that restore, you'll see here in the description for that object that the restoration is in progress, all right? So now I'm gonna let that percolate while I move on to the presentation and we'll return in just a couple minutes. Okay, uh, FINRA is a great customer case study that I wanna highlight. Uh, they uh, wanted 
uh, they, they quickly ingest lots of financial record data uh, from many different sources and store, uh, they wanted to store it in you know, one location uh, that they can, uh, that's both durable and allows them to get at that data for either you know, quick analysis um, for which they use expedited retrievals, as well as bulk um, retrievals for doing mass batch uh, process processes to uh, run analytics on that those financial transactions, and so they use bulk retrieval to to restore hundreds of terabytes of data that they then suck into EMR to do these batch retrievals, uh, and so this is a great use case of utilizing these the the three retrieval options uh, while taking advantage of the low storage price of Glacier. Um, and they estimate the savings of 10 to $20 million a year over their previous on-premises solution. Um, so I wanted to go deep into the retrieval performance. Um, I got a lot of questions about the retrieval options uh, beyond just you know, the price and the access times uh, after we launched it last year, so I wanted to take some time to go into a bit of detail. For expedited retrievals, which again is gonna give you your data in one to five minutes, I almost forgot. Let me come back to my expedited retrieval. Let's take a look. Crossing my fingers here. Okay, so this is now restored. Uh, it is restored until December 2nd. And if I hit download, you will see that it is being downloaded. That data was in Glacier, it is now on my laptop with an expedited retrieval. Super easy, super fast, super reliable. Coming back to expedited retrievals, um, the one to five minute access time is for objects up to 250 megabytes beyond which it can take longer. Uh, as a rule of thumb, you can assume a linear performance there, um, but it, that would be a minimum. Uh, I often see like one gigabyte objects being restored in less than 10 minutes. Again, this is really meant for your like, occasional use, urgent access. Um, it's also available the vast majority of the time, similar to Amazon EC2 inst uh, instances, uh, sorry, on-demand instances. So if you need guaranteed availability uh, of expedited retrievals, I suggest using provision capacity units for which I will go into detail in just a minute. For standard retrievals, uh, which gives you your data in three to five hours, um, I have customers that regularly retrieve multi-terabyte objects in under five hours, uh, so there's virtually no limit to um, the, the access time for, on standard. And for bulk, it's used today to, as I mentioned with FINRA, cost-effectively restore hundreds of terabytes of data in less than 12 hours. Um, and it also is designed to support petabyte scale workloads. Now, if you have a petabyte scale workload, if you need to restore a petabyte quickly, reach out to your account team, talk to the Glacier team. It, it is a large workload that we'd love to talk to you about, um, and we have some tools and scripts to help spread those, um, spread those requests out over time uh, to get the most out of bulk retrievals. Uh, and one thing you wanna keep in mind is that you're probably restoring that data to be either processed or used. You're gonna make sure that the rate at which you're restoring data from Glacier into, uh, back into S3 can then be processed at that speed uh, with whatever it is that you're using. So, <clears throat> to, uh, for provision capacity units, um, these are, a provision capacity unit ensures that uh, you will get three expedited requests every five minutes. 
and up to 150 megabytes per second of aggregate throughput across multiple requests. It's $100 a month uh, per unit, uh, which is very inexpensive, and there's uh, no change required to your restore request. So if you purchase a provision capacity unit, simply make an, uh, your expedited request and it will automatically be run through your provision capacity. Uh, one thing to clarify is that it does not accelerate your expedited retrievals. It just guarantees that you will be able to get three uh, successful expedited requests every five minutes. Uh, because again, expedited requests are available most of the time, like EC2 on-demand instances. Um, so you're gonna get the same access time of one to five minutes, even if, you're, if you, even if you have provision capacity units. You can purchase multiple in order to get the performance requirements that you have. <clears throat> now, I get a lot of comments. Glacier's great, low storage cost, but it's gonna cost me a ton to get that data out. So I wanna run through a few TCO examples of what that might look like uh, to uh, reassure you. So let's look at just the storage. Extremely cold archive use case. You're never doing any access. All you're paying every month is the storage bill of $21,000 a month. This is for a five petabytes uh, data set, okay? So no retrieval costs, we're all hunky-dory. Uh, let's say now you have, you have a cold archive store, maybe it's a research archive or a log repository, and every once in a while you're retrieving your data. Um, and let's say your average object size is about 100 megabytes, uh, and let's assume that over a course of a month, uh, you're restoring 180,000 um, objects using standard retrievals, which, and, uh, which equates to roughly 50 terabytes or 5% of your data. Sounds like a lot, probably gonna be expensive, $533 or 2% of your total glacier cost. Okay, that's retrieving 5% of your data, which you know, if it's an archive use case, typically it's um, in this smaller range. I don't have a lot of customers retrieving 5% of their data, they do exist, but the point is the retrieval costs are very small. But what if you have more active use cases? Let's say you need to, you're doing mass transcoding, you're doing mass content distribution, um, like Sony, you can retrieve 20% of your data across 3.5 million bulk requests, and still your retrieval costs are only gonna be 11% of your total monthly bill, all right? Glacier is not only a great place to lower and minimize your store costs, you can get to your data and do what you need to with it um, for a low cost. Um, but let's look at an extreme case uh, of a five petabyte workload, 100 megabyte average object size. You're doing the 5% of your data on standard requests. You also have two provision capacity units. You're making 10,000 expedited requests worth three terabytes of data and the 2.6 million bulk requests, 750 terabytes, 15%. You're, you're retrieving over 20% of your data every month. Still, only 19% of your total bill and you're still gonna be lower cost overall uh, compared to storing it on S3 or S3IA, assuming that the access times are okay for you. So I just wanted to go over these TCO examples uh, to show that these, the, the new retrieval tiers and the pricing really allows you to not only take advantage of Glacier's storage price, but also accessing and leverage the data that you have uh, inexpensively. And finally, um, I've got 10 minutes left and I really wanna go through Glacier Select and I also wanna open it up to Q&A uh, for any questions you guys might have, so I'm gonna breeze through this a little bit quickly. But yesterday we launched Glacier Select. The Glacier team is super excited about this. 
because until Glacier Select existed, you had to retrieve your data, pull it into EMR or EC2 or what have you to, to filter through. With Glacier Select, you can run queries directly on your Glacier objects without having to retrieve them. Um, the, uh, it uses uh, simple SQL expressions like select and where. Works just like a Git request, similar to a Git request, uh, and it integrates with our SDK and the CLI. Uh, it's great for pattern matching, auditing, big data integration, um, and the, uh, an example request, it works a lot like a restore request, except that you include the select expression inside of it. So just to run through this example really quickly, you've got a restore request um, where you're specifying that it's a select um, request. You choose which restore option. So again, it, it, it leverages the Glacier retrieval options of expedited standard in bulk, and it'll run that SQL expression in the time frame that you specify based on that tier. Uh, you can add a description, and then you specify the select parameters. Your input serialization, so if, you're, if your object has headers, then you can specify that. Then you uh, specify this, the expression, so in this case, select star. So it's just grabbing everything from the object. Um, and then the output serialization. And then finally, you, you can specify what the prefix is of the object uh, of th that will be created that will be the output of that SQL. Um, statement, as well as access control and user metadata. Um, here are some more examples of what they see select expressions can be, everything from select star to you can also uh, specify column uh, positional headers, um, or if you have name headers, you can also specify those, and then of course use a where filter. So in that second example, uh, it's grabbing um, one and two where three is greater than 100, right? So this is really great. So instead of having to pull the entire object out of Glacier, um, you're able to just grab a portion of the object that you have in Glacier. Um, the way it works is you'll send that request, the initiate job, um, with the parameters that I just mentioned. We'll give you 200 OK to let you know that we got it. We'll then go and process that request. Uh, when we're done, we'll write it to your S3 bucket with the prefix that you mentioned uh, and, let, and give you a notification that that's complete. Uh, very simple. Keep in mind with the, pri the, the pricing for this. Um, so again, you have different pricing whether you use expedited standard or bulk. Um, and there's uh, several pricing dimensions. You've got the data scanned, which is the, um, the size of the object that we are scanning and running the SQL statement on. And that's two cents per gigabyte for expedited. The data returned, which is whatever data is returned based on how you uh, define your SQL expression, that's three cents per gigabyte, which aligns with the data retrieval price on Glacier, um, and then also one cent per request for expedited. Uh, and that concludes my presentation. Um, thank you for listening. I'm gonna move to Q&A in just a second, just a couple quick call-outs. If you wanna learn more about storage, um, please visit uh, storage 312 at 315. Um, where we're going to talk about uh, best practices for building a data lake in, a, in S3 and Glacier. And also, uh, you can now use these sessions to make progress in uh, the certifications, AWS Certification Solutions Architect and the AWS Certified SysOps uh, Administrator Certifications. So check those out. Um, and finally, Q&A. If you guys have any questions, we have microphones set up on either aisle. Um, and I'd be happy to use the last five minutes for questions.
Sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, could you share some more information uh, on a fixity check? Um, what exactly has been done and how frequently to ensure data integrity? So I can't talk about, um, I can't talk too much in detail, but what I can say is that we periodically scan through all of our data in Glacier and proactively find any, uh, any potential errors and then restore, uh, restore those um, to, the, to the original hash. Um, and that, that's all the information that I can give. Okay. And then one more if I can. Uh, the recovered data from Glacier, what, what storage class has it been restored to while it's you know, available for a few days? The reduced redundancy storage. In, almost every, in every region where reduced redundancy storage storage class exists, some of the new um, regions don't uh, support that storage class because we're slowly phasing that one out. Because yeah, last time I checked, the reduced redundancy was even more expensive than S3. It was. Uh, that's true, but we are defaulting to the uh, lowest priced uh, storage class when it's being re um, restored. Thanks. Is there any way to set a policy for archival on a prefix instead of the entire bucket? Yes, you can filter on prefix as well as tags. Okay. Anybody else? Uh, sorry, we, uh, just one, one quick one on the mic over here. Yeah, uh, can this be CFT driven? Say that again? Can this be CFT driven? I'm not sure what CFT cloud, is. Cloud formation template driven. Um, so it so. There are some CloudFormation templates uh, that are being used to automate certain, um, uh, certain operations within object storage. So t take a look at, at CloudFormation. You'll, you'll find some there related to, to S3 and Glacier. Okay, thank yeah. you. Uh, yes? As you, run, as you run this Glacier select and you run the query, um, then suddenly you realize that you have basically put in the wrong criteria. Right, and then you realize it, and then you go back and fix it, or is what are the options over there? So that is not an option today. Um, you'll just have to re redo it. Uh, you, you, you can't cancel it, so to speak. Um, but that is something that we're looking into as we get a lot more customer active use cases um, on Glacier, and customers are retrieving data all the time, um, and they're running into these cases where you know they made a mistake or they didn't or they retrieve it in bulk retrieval, but they actually need it faster, this kind of um, thing. But once you've initiated that um, time frame, then it, it can't be canceled. So that's something that we're looking into to be able to overwrite that job. Um, and so if you have specific requirements, I'd love to hear more, more about it. Okay, thank you. We're using S3 as our primary storage and considering Glacier as a DR uh, system. It would be really, uh, so the only time we would be restoring from Glacier would be in a disaster recovery scenario. It would be really uh, convenient if we could uh, promote a Glacier object to a permanent S3 object rather than a temporary one that we need a second step to yep. persist that. Totally hear you. It's on our roadmap. We, we hear that Any one Any timing on that? Uh, I do not have official timing on that. Um, Thanks. How can Glacier Select be used with uh, Athena or with uh, Spectrum? 
Uh, we will be uh, releasing integration with Athena uh, in Q1, and you'll, you'll see details on, on how that in integrates with Glacier. Um, but we will, will work that. like uh, Glacier and S3 both will work in a similar manner, right? Correct. But you know when you when the objects are in the Glacier storage class, you can expect you know the you have to incorporate the restore time um, in in terms of the performance. But but yes. Uh, anybody else? You alluded to at the beginning the uh, the analytics components. Mm -hmm. How do you, where would the next place to probably do some more research to figure that out? Um, so uh, take a look at uh, the S3 and Glacier Select, which is a great way to, to do some analytics um, without having to retrieve it. Uh, and then beyond that, uh, kind of depending on your use case, you're going to be using things like CloudTrail that I'm going to give you logs. Um, uh, of any API activity. You're going to have S3, uh, uh, S3 storage class analytics, which is going to give you the automated um, reports on access patterns um, for your objects. Uh, those would be my top three to, to, to suggestions for looking at that. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, quick question, like, I think you know you talked about uh, I think um, what do you call a zero-day uh, transition uh, from S3 to Glacier. For that, do we still pay for the price of S3 or only the Glacier price? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so, you for the zero-day, there is a potential short period of time um, after you've initiated that zero-day policy where you'll be paying for um, S3 rates until it is. Uh, we get around to uh, that object and move it within. It will be moved within that day, um, but there will be a short window um, within that day where it, you'll be charged S3 object uh, S3 pricing. Um, but you know, keep in mind it's a fraction of a day, which is a fraction of a month, um, so it's going to be you know fairly minimal. And then uh, one last question: Is there a way to directly feed data into Glacier, or it does always go through S3? So there is a way to get directly into Glacier via Glacier's um, APIs, which is a separate API set from S3. Um, depending on which door you go through, you, you have to stay within that door. So they kind of live in two different worlds. And there's a couple different feature sets um, and so that you want to be mindful of. Uh, but there is a way. Um, so if you go to Glacier's uh, product page and you look, look through the APIs, you'll, you'll see the APIs there um, that'll give you details on that. Um, but if you, uh, but uh, we are also looking into um, giving customers a way to go straight to Glacier while still being within the S3 uh, world, if you will. Cool. Well, if that's it, we are out of time um, and enjoy replay. Thanks, everybody.